Let's pray together. So, Father, would you come now through your word and by your spirit and encourage your blood-bought flock. Help us see what we need to see, comfort, convict, and move among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Dave Zuliger, and I'm the lead pastor at the South Campus, and it's my joy to deliver this third sermon in this 2020 vision series. I've titled this sermon, Shepherd the Flock of God Among You. The elders here at Bethlehem have felt the chief shepherd, who's Jesus Christ, leading us into more and more intentional care for the flock entrusted to us over the past few years. This isn't just a a new burden, but it's a, a growing burden. There's been a renewed emphasis, for example, on membership because we want to know who it is that we're called to give an account for. And so I invite you this morning, if you're here and this is your home church and you're not yet a member, to consider membership with us at Bethlehem so we can know you and know that we're called to give an account for you. There's a plan now for shepherding care at every campus. And what we're trying to do in all of this is not be clever and not just develop systems. Our hope isn't in those. What we're trying to do is emulate the heart of our chief shepherd who knows us by name and is the overseer of our souls. That's been the the burden on your elders. We want to follow in his footsteps in knowing you and in loving you as we seek to lead you to him with his word. We want to shepherd you better in the strength of our cheap shepherd and with our eyes on how he shepherds us. Let me read you the main point, I think, of our text this morning. The main point this morning is that elders are meant to shepherd the blood-bought flock of God among them through the afflictions of this life as they march toward final glory together. I'll read it one more time. And the main point is that elders are meant to shepherd the blood-bought flock of God among them through the afflictions of this life as they march toward final glory together. And I think this passage really gets at the center of the burden your elders feel to shepherd you better. We want to help you hope in Jesus. We want to get you to Jesus through all the ugliness of this life. If you're going to say to me, what is your burden for shepherding? I would say, I want to get my people to Jesus. I want them to hope in Jesus in the midst of the sufferings of this life so that one day they'll be with him and we'll be with him together. First Peter is a book about suffering. And this call is a call to shepherd in suffering. But I don't just want you to take my word for it, like Pastor Jason said last week. I just want to summarize for you what we see in 1 Peter quickly so you can see the context of suffering as the context of shepherding. In 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9, we see that we've been born again to a living hope with an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And this hope of glory will only be realized through various fiery trials. Or in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, we see that we will suffer for good and follow in the footsteps of Jesus who left us an example 
of this. Or in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 17, it's all about the goodness of suffering for the glory of Christ. It says, expect that it's coming and know that the suffering is good when you suffer for the glory of Christ. Or 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 5, talks about suffering in the flesh now so that we can be ready for the day of judgment. Or 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14, tells us we should not be surprised at the fiery trials that come to test us, but should rejoice as we share in Christ's suffering so that we will be ready when his glory is revealed. In other words, this paradigm in Peter is, here's this suffering of this life, and all of that is expected in pointing to future glory. We're joining in Christ who suffered and then rose again into glory. And finally, we see Peter talk this way to the elders in verse 1 about the person of Christ. And you can look with me there at verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That's Peter's shepherding paradigm. I'm a witness of the sufferings and I expect I'll partake in those and I have been a, a witness of his resurrection and glory and I expect that we'll be a partaker of those as well. So there it is. The elders are meant to shepherd the flock of God among them through afflictions of this life as we all march toward final glory together. That's the context that we shepherd in. That's the blazing, joyful, hope-filled passion of the elders in this 2020 vision. We want to get you to Jesus through the sufferings and afflictions of this life. And so with, with that kind of context of shepherding in the sufferings of this life in your mind, we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the who of shepherding. We're going to look at the what of shepherding. And then we're going to look at the how of shepherding. The who, the what, and the how. So let's dive in first to the who of shepherding. What I want to look at here is who are these shepherds and who are they shepherding? So first let me just make a quick observation that Bethlehem believes elders and pastors and overseers are all one office in the Bible. And all pastors are elders and all elders are overseers. There's no distinctions. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 2 is one of the best places we would go to show this reality. So if you look closely in verse 1, Peter says he is a fellow elder. So he's speaking to elders. In verse 2, he commands these elders to shepherd or to pastor. So these elders are shepherds or pastors. And then in verse 2, he describes their task as oversight. So these words, elder, shepherd, overseer, describe different functions and facets of the same office. It's not just the staff elders that are pastors here at Bethlehem. All the elders are pastors, are overseers. And I'm bringing this up here because I think it's important because I, I want to say over and over again that these changes aren't merely to hear more from Jason and Stephen and me in a specific campus, but I think one of the great things it will do is give greater influence to the elders on those campuses who will give an account for your soul. So, so one of the things that will happen certainly 
is that you'll hear more from the other elders from the pulpit. But the other thing that will happen is that as Jason and Stephen and me get up week after week, if these changes go through and and preach to these campuses, these flocks among us, we will be representing the voices of the campus elder teams who seek to know you and seek to shepherd you. Our desire is for the campus elders to know you and to care for you, for you to be known and to be loved. And our prayer is that as we labor together at each campus and we sit in elder meetings and we, we pray for you and we wrestle for you and we, we, we counsel and we talk to each other about what's going on, that that shared knowledge of the flock helps us see the dangers more clearly and therefore speak and lead you more wisely. The New Testament, in other words, holds up a plurality of elders to lead a particular flock, and we think this 2020 vision accomplishes that better, more comprehensively, more uh, narrowly in a good sense that we'll have our eyes on you and you'll be hearing from a group of shepherds who have their eyes on you. So what does Peter then exhort all of us elders, pastors, overseers to do? What is the charge? He simply says, shepherd the flock of God among you. So listen to that phrase, among you. It's spatial. It's a presence. Remember back with me to Jason's first sermon from Acts 20 and listen to what verse 29 says after Paul charges the Ephesian elders to keep a close watch on this flock. Verse 29 says this, Know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So from these two verses, we could ask the questions, which sheep do we shepherd? Those among us. Which sheep should we protect? Those among us. Where are the dangers going to come? They're going to come in among us. The words among you are there for a reason. The Bible shows shepherding with proximity and presence as absolutely necessary. In other words, a good shepherd can't watch or protect or speak to his sheep from some far off field, right? That would be an oxymoron of the biblical picture. I said at the beginning that we want to follow the lead of our chief shepherd, Jesus. I want you to listen to two sets of verses from John 10 that talk about how Jesus shepherds us. And it's this analogy of this close shepherding sheep relationship. First, John 10, 14 says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So you hear this closeness, this mutual knowledge. Or John 10, 3-4, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So your elders want to know you better. So every campus has a plan of one kind or another to seek to know you and to have you know us. There's a mutual knowledge that's appropriate for shepherding. There's an amongness, an among you that's appropriate for shepherding. We want to know your names and we want you to know our voice because we're among you. So let me give an example of how this happens in a sweet way. I preached a sermon 
on suffering recently at the South Campus, and the texts came alive so much more as I sat with several suffering saints that I knew by name on Thursday and Friday. And as I sat with them anticipating preaching this sermon, prayers for them and others among us that were suffering just filled my preparation and fueled my hope for what God might do among us on that Sunday. And on Sunday, as I looked out at them, I could see them eye to eye, I'm looking at them, they know we just met, they know what I'm thinking, they know I'm praying for them, and I proclaimed our chief shepherd who's gonna wipe away every tear from their eye and he's gonna sustain them to the end. As I preach that and we're looking at each other, man, there's a sweet knowing and being known that's taking place among us, among this people. The elders feel a burden that the best way to shepherd and speak to our flock is to do so with those among us, those we live life with and minister regularly to at our three gathering places. We think this is a move into greater faithfulness in this season of life of carrying out this vision of shepherding. How will we know the dangers or the lacks or the burdens to shepherd you with if we aren't among you? How can we speak to you as directly or specifically as we need to if we're not among you? So the who of the shepherding is the flock of God among us. That's what we see here in First Peter. But what about the, the what of shepherding? What is shepherding exactly? The second half of verse 2 puts it plainly. It says, exercising oversight. And this has really been the heart of the 2020 vision, sight. The elders want to fight for sight of the flock of God among us. And as I had all these shepherding texts in my mind this week, I found myself often meditating on Psalm 23. And as I was reflecting on it, what struck me most is the amazing reality of the never-ceasing presence of the shepherd that leads to timely protection and timely provision. We see oversight so clearly in Psalm 23. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's with me in the valley of the shadow of death. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. He pursues me with goodness and mercy and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice that all of these tasks require that the shepherd is with them and very alert to their specific needs. Now, we, we are not Jesus. We are not going to be perfect. And I, I realize there might be some people sitting in this room or listening even now to me who are going, but you've dropped the ball before. You, you, you haven't shepherded me well. You've made mistakes. And we just say, we're sorry. We, we want to do better. But hear our heart to have this kind of careful, alert oversight to help you like Jesus helps us. And because the elders at your campuses are responsible for this oversight, we think it's appropriate that you hear regularly from one of those shepherds among you. I want to go back to a passage that Jason showed us last week and show you how speaking the words of God and being among you are meant to go together for leaders of the flock. Jason last week took us to Hebrews 13.7. Now I'm going to read that to you Again, it says this, Remember your leaders, 
those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then he'll go on to talk about how these leaders are meant to protect them from false teaching. These leaders, these elders of the flock, are close enough to the flock that the flock can consider their way of life and imitate their faith. Do you consider your elders life? Are you close enough to them that you can say, I I see something of their life and I can imitate their faith? The elders know them and they know the elders. They're among each other and as they get to know them, these leaders exercise oversight as they speak specific words of protection and provision to them from the word of God to meet their specific needs. A shepherd is meant to know his sheep and speak to them as he leads them where they need to go and protects them from dangers. Shepherds far away can't speak to the sheep as effectively and will have a harder time exercising the kind of oversight this passage calls us to. This is why Pastor Jason has said on several occasions, I just feel it's hard when I get to the application part of the sermon because every one of the campuses is a little bit different and I feel like I can't quite speak to the specific needs and the specific dangers and the specific hurts. So we want to shepherd the flock of God among us, those we regularly do life with, and we want to be those who exercise careful oversight with specific words of encouragement and exhortation from the Bible. One way to say it would be, the elders at Bethlehem have felt that as the Lord has led us toward more campus-specific ministry and care, that it's fitting for there to be elders that labor in preaching and teaching from that campus context. Say that again, because I think this gets at the heart of what's going on in your elders' hearts. As the Lord has led us towards more campus-specific ministry and care, that it seems fitting for there to be elders that labor in preaching and teaching from that campus context. So I want to give you an illustration. It's kind of a funny, absurd illustration, but sometimes that helps us learn things. So I'm a dad, and I'm a husband, and I try to work hard to know my wife, and I try to know my kids, so I want to know their hearts. I just want to see the outside stuff. I want to know their hearts, their joys, their fears, their sorrows, their sins. And I want to seek to shepherd them. I want to seek to lead them, to comfort them, to walk with them. It's fitting, right? Everyone would say it's fitting for you as a dad and a husband that you speak to them regularly from the word based on that knowledge of them. We'd all say that, right? That just makes sense. So now imagine this picture with me. Every night, as their family gets ready for family devotionals, I sit them down, either on the couch, or sometimes we just put them in the bed so they go to sleep right afterwards, and they're wherever they are, and we're getting them ready. We're going to read a little bit of a a child's Bible, then we're going to do some memorization, and we're going to talk about it. And as I sit them down, imagine if I this. I pulled out my phone, and I FaceTimed Jason. I said, hey, Jason, we're ready. Help us do our family devotionals. Now, none of you in here would think, well, Pastor Jason can't give a good devotional. Right? Pastor Jason's devotional would probably be awesome. His devotional might be better than the devotional I can give. I'm sure it would be, but there's a fittingness to me speaking to my family in that moment because they are the ones charged to my direct care. Now, obviously, that's not one-to-one, but it illustrates 
the fittingness that we feel as elders to be able to speak to these people that we're laboring to know and to love and to shepherd. So I want to say one thing I'm not saying and the one thing I am saying. What I'm not saying is that the shepherds listen for the felt needs of the flock and then kind of adjust the gospel. I'm not saying that. We don't want you to think that. I'm saying shepherds should be those who love the word of God and love the people of God. Shepherds should be those who exegete the Bible first and then exegete the people God has put under their charge. Shepherds must hold high the word of truth because we don't believe we can really love you unless we speak the truth of the gospel to you. A shepherd holds up the Bible in full form in all of its encouragements, in all of its exhortations, in all of its comforts, in all of its conviction and is not ashamed of the gospel even when it's not popular. So I'm not saying that we're, we're seeking to hear you and then kind of adjust the Bible. What I'm saying is that as a group of shepherds knows the flock, there will be different burdens and applications of the word they exhort their people with. Just as Paul wrote different letters into different contexts and there are different letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, so each context needs certain gospel antidotes for certain spiritual ailments. I preach a little bit different at the South Campus in a kind of sprawling suburban context with all those cultural dynamics than I did in Albert Lee in a more small town context. The dangers and the culture and people's rhythms of life are different. And so I'm not changing the Bible, but I am learning my people and exegeting them as I exegete the Bible. So we shepherd those among us exercising oversight, seeking to see and know the flock and speaking the word of God to protect and provide for the flock in their particular needs. And finally, the how of shepherding. In verses two and three, we see three contrasting statements about how the elders are called to exercise this oversight in their knowing and their leading and their speaking. And I would just ask in this moment, as I studied it this week, if you're hearing my voice right now, would you pray for your elders? Uh, we are living in a time where we are seeing all sorts of shepherds fall. And we're living in a time where these words are really timely. And as I read them, I felt the burden of, I need to be like this more. And so I'm asking flat out for your prayers, for your elders. We want to follow in the footsteps of the chief shepherd. And we know that sin and suffering and Satan will seek to undo not only your faith, not like we're the spiritual shepherds up here and you're the only ones in danger, but Satan will seek to undo our faith. And so we need your prayers. And so with that in mind, let's look at these contrasts together. The first one in verse two says, shepherds should do exercise not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. In other words, a shepherd does not serve as a way to please man. A shepherd doesn't become a shepherd because they're pressured into it. Don't want to feel some kind of compulsion like I have to be an elder because everyone's asking me or because maybe I'd earn some favor with God or because maybe people would think more highly of me. And a shepherd can't operate in their role by letting certain people pressure them into doing certain things. Because you can't be pandering when you're a shepherd. Like this group of people is going to be really angry if we don't do this ministry or this emphasis. So shepherds can't do that. Instead, a shepherd becomes a shepherd by the call of God, appointed by the Holy Spirit. Pastor Jason preached on that these last two weeks. And a shepherd operates in their role by always asking the question, in this situation, how do I please God and be faithful to his call? 
Paul models this kind of devotion in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, when he says, We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So elders must seek to be faithful to God, and this comes primarily from being men devoted to the word of God and to prayer and to the glory of God as we see Christ in the scriptures. We must be men who are willing to seek the eternal good of the flock by calling you to follow Jesus in all things, even if it's not popular. So pray for us. Pray for your elders that we would do this according to God, with our eyes on God and not trying to please or be coerced by men. Number two, it says that they should do this not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now this is often associated with money, and I think there's even more applications, but money is certainly one right way to think about this. Listen to these verses again from John 10, verses 12 to 13. It says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. A shepherd who is in it for his own personal gain will run at the first sign of trouble or will do things to protect himself instead of the flock. A shepherd cannot be someone asking the questions, what can I get out of this ministry? How will this ministry serve me? How do I benefit from the status or the prestige? How can I leverage this for more popularity or more power? What can I do so that people will look on me and think that I'm great, some kind of shameful gain? Instead, a real shepherd called by God and seeking to do God's will will ask, how do I lay my life down in this situation? How can I benefit others' faith? How can I use my God-given authority to serve and lift others up. A shepherd runs towards the danger because he loves the sheep at great cost to himself, following in the footsteps of Jesus, even when it's hard or unpopular. Someone in it for shameful gain will always have a hesitation, an insidious kind of calculating to not do what is right in true and hard things, but instead do what is politically savvy to maintain status or money or influence. So pray for your elders that we would do this eagerly, laying our lives down, following in the footsteps of Jesus, not for any kind of shameful gain. Number three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We have seen recently too many examples of power-hungry shepherds in the news who want to build their own kingdoms and their own brands and are willing to run others over to get there. And when I hear those stories, I don't think, praise God, it's not me, I tremble. I don't want to get there. I don't want to abuse my authority. We cannot be shepherds who act as if they are king instead of Jesus is king. We can't be shepherds who demand that others bow to them. Like, get in line. This is the right program. This is the right ministry. This is the right way. We can't be shepherds who will get their way at any cost. Instead, would you pray for us that we would be shepherds that are examples of godliness and repentance. We need shepherds who model the mind of Christ and want to serve others and not use others. 
We need shepherds who are lead repenters when they sin against the flock. We're going to fail you. We're going to sin against you. Would you pray that we'd be quick to repent, quick to say we're sorry when we make mistakes or sin against you? We need shepherds who count others as more significant than themselves and follow Jesus on the path of the cross. God, help us to do this. So we're called to shepherd the flock of God among us, exercising oversight and doing it in a way that points to the chief shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep in all humility and in all holiness. We see the flock and the flock sees us imperfectly modeling the love of Christ. That's what we're after. That's what this looks like as we shepherd the flock of God among us. So now we've talked about the the context of shepherding. We've talked about the who and the what and the how. And so now let's talk about the consummation of shepherding. This is the exciting part. This is where it's, it's all headed. This is why it's all worth it. This is why it's good and exciting and right to be a Christian. So let me remind you of the main point of this passage from the beginning of the sermon. Elders are meant to shepherd the flock of God among them through afflictions of this life as they march toward final glory together. Elders are meant to shepherd the flock of God among them through afflictions of this life as they march toward final glory together. So in a nutshell, the goal of all this intentional, sacrificial, hopefully joyful shepherding is that we make it to glory together. God means for his under-shepherds to help his blood-bought family navigate this world of suffering and sin and satanic schemes by pointing them to the finished work of Jesus and by finding unshakable joy in him until he returns. And there is a great reward for shepherds and for the flock that God aims to use to motivate us. He holds these things out in front of us, his glory, his eternal glory in front of us and says, endure, shepherds, shepherd well. Shepherd the way I'm calling you to. People follow well because there's great reward. Look at verse four. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the seriousness of the task and the greatness of the reward helps shepherds persevere. The text Jason preached last week that we will give an account for souls is the text that keeps me up at night thinking of shepherding situations. And this text is the one that gets me up in the morning with great hope to keep going. One keeps me up and one gets me up. When the chief shepherd returns, if we have sought to shepherd the flock among us, exercising oversight in the way that points to the self-giving love of the chief shepherd, he will give us an unfading crown of glory. Now that sounds awesome. What a great phrase, unfading crown of glory. But what does it mean? And what it means stunned me as I studied just a couple days ago. Let me read you two verses and see if you pick up on it with me. Philippians 4.1, Paul is talking to the Philippian church and he says, therefore my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Did you hear joy and crown there? Or 1 Thessalonians 2.19, what is our hope or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. So here we have the crown and the coming in the same verse. So what is the crown? What's the joy? What's the boasting? He says, is it not you to the church? Do you see it? You are the crown of the shepherds here. It's the people. 
God sent his son, the chief shepherd of his blood-bought flock, to die for the sins of all who will trust him. Then he gave under-shepherds to lay down their lives to help his blood-bought flock cling to Jesus as they navigate sin and suffering in the satanic schemes. And when he appears, our crown, the shepherd's crown, our joy will be that we will look around at his coming and look at you and the people that we've shepherded and go, we made it. We made it. We're here. Can you believe it? It will be an unfading crown as we spend eternity together in the presence of the chief shepherd, the lamb that was slain, and go, can you believe he used us to get you here? Can you believe that we made it? How great is our chief shepherd? How good is he to us? We will look around with wonder at each other that the Lord kept us. And we're in his presence forever. We will say it was worth it. We've been waiting. It's here. We made it. We're with him. Man, when I saw that, I thought, I can keep shepherding. I can keep shepherding. I can get up. What, what a joyful thing. Jason said last week, the somberness that comes over him, the weightiness as he reads the names of those saints who have passed away. And as I read this, I felt the same thing. This is what it's all about. Getting to Jesus together. You being our our crown, the, the people that we're to lay down our lives for, of course, you're the reward. Of course, you're the crown that all points to the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ alone. So this role of shepherds in this life is to help you wait well for the appearing of Jesus to help you keep your eyes above the seas and hope in him as the waves of life come, to help us be a blood-bought family ready to meet Jesus, ready through all the sufferings and sin of this life. I want to read 1 Peter 5, 8-10 as we see this consummation of shepherding together, being a church ready and eagerly awaiting our eternal glory with Jesus. Look at verses 8-10. to It says, Be sober-minded, Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Bethlehem, your shepherds are not perfect. We're trying, we're laboring, but we do want you to know we love you. Your shepherds love you. We long to shepherd well because you will be our crown and joy and we want to be a church ready for the appearing of our Savior as we wait for him. Would you pray with me? So Father, we pray now that you would help us rest in the all-sufficient work of Jesus, the chief shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and then took it up again and then sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to help us, to lead us. 
And so you've promised to be with us to the end of the age. You've promised to be a very present help in our time of need. And so we come to you now asking you to be with us, to rest in Jesus, to follow the chief shepherd. Help the elders at Bethlehem be under shepherds that are devoted to the word and prayer so that we rightly follow the lead of the chief shepherd. Help us not get a step behind or a step in front and help us be shepherds who lay down our lives for this flock, who lead them well, who speak to them carefully and wisely so that one day we will be in your presence forever together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.